Welcome to another edition of Global Investment Leaders. Hello, and welcome to Rosemont's Global Investment Leaders podcast. I'm Brad Mook, Managing Director of Investments at Rosemont, and your host today. I'll be speaking today with Lindsay Chamberlain, Managing Director of Client Partnerships at Axiom Investors, an $18 billion employee-owned global equity manager based in Greenwich, Connecticut. Lindsay has been with Axiom for 10 years and is on the executive leadership team and an equity partner. I got to know Lindsay during my time at SEI, which hired the firm to run U.S. small cap assets, and I've always enjoyed and learned from our discussions. The focus of our conversation is Axiom's quiet success in developing as an employee-owned institutional quality boutique. In an era when long-only equity firms are challenged by passive management, fee pressure, competition, and other factors, and industry fragility manifests through consolidation and failure, Axiom has done an impressive job across the board. Lindsay doesn't know that I often use Axiom as a success case when speaking with smaller boutiques about sustainably growing their business, and I'm excited to explore some of those topics with her today. Thanks for joining us, and now let's bring in Lindsay and learn how they did it. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Hey, Brad. Thanks so much for having me. Really great to be here. Glad you could join us. Let's start by setting the stage about Axiom and providing a little bit of context. When and how did it start? I know you're celebrating 25 years. Um, tell us a little bit of the background in terms of how the firm came to be and, and what does it look like today? Sure. Yes. And I, I haven't uh, been here for all 25 years of the history. So I actually just hit my tenure at Axiom. So uh, almost half of the history, but Axiom really started in the late 1990s uh, when our founder, Andrew Jacobson, took an international equity strategy that he was running at his prior firm to really form Axiom in 1998. So as you referenced, celebrating 25 years this coming September. So we really started as a single strategy firm in the late 1990s, very much focused on our style of investing, which is dynamic growth, investing ahead of the curve and operational inflections in the global equity markets. And then 25 years later, we're at 11 strategies, almost 20 billion in assets and utilizing the same philosophy and process across all strategies. And we've just organically grown over time and what we view as our areas of core competency. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, the 25 year history through multiple market cycles. I think I saw 61 employees now. You're 100% yes. employee owned, almost half the employees are partners. In an industry where a lot of employee owned boutiques struggle to scale and then either you know typically rise and fall or they fail to get scale or they end up selling to a strategic consolidator, your story is pretty unusual, expanding from one strategy to 11, maintaining a pretty consistent um, investment approach. How would you say that has been um, driven? Is that is that from the top? Is that Andrew from the beginning setting the course and everybody buying into it? Yeah, I think you really touch on a good point. So, you know, one thing I left out, which you noted, is that Axiom is 100% employee owned. We're mission driven. We're very focused on investment performance and, and client outcomes and investing ahead of the curve in our dynamic growth global equities. And I think at its core, um, Axiom really has an ownership culture. And that started with Andrew on day one uh, to align interests of Axiom's employees with our clients. We really think that promotes long-term thinking. 
And as you know, Brad, and as I mentioned, our common investment philosophy and process, I do think is something that really helps unify us in that mission of investment performance and fiduciary excellence, long-term stewardship, client alignment. And with our 25th anniversary this year, it's actually something that we've always been focused on, but it's kind of front and center now in the organization is that ownership culture and what does it mean and how do we sustain it? Uh, when I joined, we I believe I was 41, like employee number 41, and now we're 61. So that's that's a big jump, 20, 20 more employees since 10 years ago. So I think we all know that a strong culture leads to success. It starts in the beginning. Yes, it evolves over time, but we're not going to succeed because any one of us that joins is smarter than the next person. But it's really about how we work to build our culture and how can we create a culture where we collaborate in a smarter way. Yep, yep. Has Andrew always had a vision of what he wanted the firm to be? And, and you know, when he started the firm, obviously predated you by 15 years. So you <laughs> may not know the answer to this. But when he started the firm, do you think this is the vision of Axiom that he had? Or do you think he's just taken it one year at a time? And as it grows, there's more opportunity and you just incrementally get stronger and bigger. You know, I think there's always a big picture. And I think the big picture was an ownership culture, obviously prudent growth. But I think that big picture is also made up of a bunch of small moments. And then those small moments or small successes kind of get you to that next phase. And so very similar to our overall investment philosophy and process, which in our lingo, we say medium term, because you can't really predict what happens too far out. And you don't want to think, think too short term. You want to be thoughtful. And so I think everything over the past 25 years has really been an iteration of a bunch of medium terms. And I think he's very happy with where we are and maintaining our culture and then finding ways to evolve and sustain that over time. Yeah, you make a good point about not being able to see the future um, conversation that we often have with our partner companies as we give them advice is have a 10-year vision and a three-year plan. And you just keep iterating that. And so the three-year plan evolves, but that way you're always looking a little bit towards the horizon and thinking, what can we do today and over the next couple of years, not the next month or two, but the next couple of years to try to get there. And then you course correct if you have to. Exactly. Evolve and adapt. Uh, And that is something, you know, from a leadership perspective, we talked a little bit about professionalizing or institutionalizing. And it's something, there's certain elements that have been organic, right? They've just happened because we were growing as a business. But I think institutionalizing them or, you know, making them foundational elements of your firm is something that's important as well. And so when we created a leadership structure or a management committee, that's certainly something that we thought about. Have a strategic vision, have a strategic plan, but be ready to adapt and evolve as things change. Markets are dramatic, you know, so we want to just make sure that we have, you know, the foundation in place so that we can change course if need be. Right. Um, You mentioned leadership and management committee. We've referenced Andrew a few times. How are decisions made at the firm? And one thing that's always impressed me as I've gotten to know Axiom is this balance between Andrew as the leader of the firm and the founder and, and, and wanting to have a lot of input in what goes on, balanced with really competent leaders across the functional areas. So how does the firm structure that? Yeah, well, we have senior leadership really, you know, in every functional area at Axiom. And it's really the senior leadership. And then, you know, as we talked about, we're partnerships. So Axiom's partners and principals that are really responsible for continuously fostering our culture, 
Um, obviously, that's reinforced daily to create a strong team of 61 employees that enjoy working together. But I think our focus on successful collaboration really allows us to foster open fact-based communication that helps bring new ideas and innovative thinking from other individuals as well. And so the strategic direction of the firm certainly you know, starts with the leaders. So obviously, Andrew is our founder and chief investment officer, um, our chief operating officer, chief compliance officer, uh, myself, our director of research. So there's several individuals that you know, are formally on a, a management committee, but we certainly seek to have uh, collaboration really across all employees at Axiom. And again, this was something that happened very organically for a number of years. And it wasn't until about five, maybe four, six years ago that we really formalized certain elements, one being the management committee. We do quarterly town halls so that we can communicate some of those initiatives and, and strategies to the rest of the organization. Um, so that's kind of what what leads for us the key management decisions and strategic development of the organization. Right. And the ownership is mm. spread amongst the functional areas, right? I mean, I don't I don't know if it, we often see employee-owned firms that are very, very investment team dominated in terms of the ownership. And it sounds like you've been more deliberate about representation across the firm. Yes, I think that's, you know, philosophically, I guess we like to say, uh, keep it simple and have broad participation. So uh, we we really believe that our ownership structure with partner representation, as you noted, really across every facet of our business, really just helps ensure that all of Axiom's employees are really dedicated to maintaining our culture, right? That results-oriented culture of excellence, uh, helping our clients achieve their investment objectives. We're all swimming in the same direction with a common philosophy and process. And so, we are very you know, committed to providing the opportunity for employees to participate in the ownership of the firm. You know, Obviously, you have to be a key contributor. You can share in the long-term economics of the business, either through partnership or, or as a principal. And we believe that structure really helps further align the interests of our clients with that of our employees. Right. And the cultural element around communication, I've always been impressed by as well, whether it's through technology and systems and investment process mm -hmm. and communicating data and insights or communicating amongst the different practitioners in the firm and in different functional areas. I've always been impressed by the way that that's been a very conscious decision. Is that is that a fair statement that you've focused on that as a cultural element? Yes. And, you know, it's it's funny because it's something I, I spend more time on the client partnership and business development side of the business. And it's something we're very focused on, which is collaborative, transparent partnerships with our clients. That started internally, right? Being able to collaborate with each other, one philosophy, one process, one method of portfolio construction, so that we can essentially use that as an effective and efficient way to talk to each other about new ideas and ensure that the philosophical alignment, you know, how how do we find good companies that we can invest in, invest ahead of the curve? So it's so it's on the investment side. It's been something that's been, you know, key to our success over our 25 years, but it also, you know, translates outside of the business too. And how do we communicate and, and be transparent, collaborative partners with our clients as well? Yes. I always found that with uh, David Kim on the small cap product, mm -hmm. that he was very helpful and engaging when we had questions as clients around the markets or the strategy or, or you know, the investment strategy itself. Um, always willing to bend over backwards and spend a lot of time helping us figure it out. And that collaboration was noted and appreciated. I think ultimately, and I think that goes to this whole concept that we think about internally as well, is that people, whether our employees or it's our clients, want to feel connected to an outcome. So 
So here internally, we think a lot about, okay, here's what we're doing now, but what does that mean for our share goals of the future, right? So we're, we're trying to connect the dots with the today with that of the future and how can you contribute or add value to success and outcomes. But then similarly, as you noted with David Kim, our US small cap uh, PM, he also wants to help you and our all of our clients really feel connected to our alpha philosophy and how do we implement that in our four-step investment process and what are the markets doing that's resulting in the outcome, whether it be the relative performance, or the absolute performance. And so I think just allowing our clients to also feel connected to an outcome through that transparent dialogue is something that's very important to us, obviously internally and externally. You, you mentioned investment performance, and I know that's a priority for the firm. I guess a couple of questions. First, what role do you think the performance has played in the success of the firm over time? A lot. Uh, obviously, I think, you know, there's a lot of things that go into uh, being a successful asset management firm. You know, investment performance is, you know, at the top of that list, but it's also making sure that investment performance is what your clients expect based off of what you've communicated. And so obviously we're not going to outperform in every market cycle, but I think creating a dialogue up front so that we can communicate our message in a package that can be clearly you know, understood and we can clearly articulate it so that when we hit bumps in the road or we have a really good year or a tougher year, it's not outside of the realm of what our clients already expected because of the due diligence that they performed and how we communicated our process. And that is something that we have worked a lot on over the past 10 years, really you know, institutionalizing our message and ensuring that we could package it in a way that people could understand it. And so certainly investment performance is, is crucial. I think risk-adjusted investment performance, fiduciary excellence is really important, stability and consistency of team, employee culture, um, employee value proposition in terms of culture, as well as your client value add proposition in terms of culture. There's so many pieces. It's a constellation of things that really lead to the success. Performance is, is certainly one of them. It's fascinating from a cultural standpoint. When I contrast Axiom with hedge funds, and you're in Greenwich, there are a number of them in your neck of the woods, um, but but very performance focused, high standards, but higher turnover, maybe not the same cultural um, stickiness, maybe not, you know, clients, I guess, stay with them because of the performance and, you know, maybe some of the halo around it, um, but not necessarily because of the culture and the ownership and the communication and um, I'm stretching it a bit, but I'm trying to draw mm -hmm. a distinction between that and what you have. And I, I agree with you. I found when we had periods um, where the strategy, the U.S. small cap was underperforming, it was always, again, to the point about David, it was always very helpful, the proactive communication around what was going on and the level of detail provided and the thoughts and, and both the acknowledgement of things we could have done better and things that we're sticking with because we really believe in. And I think that benefited us as as clients of the firm. Um, but how do you maintain a, a strong investment performance-led culture and not have turnover? Or, you know, I mean, there are going to be times when people struggle with their performance or, or what they're delivering or get frustrated or, you know, that's a tough thing to balance and you can't just throw people overboard and grab new ones. Yeah, it's a great point. Obviously, it's so funny how much of this ties right back to culture, but we want a culture that can attract and retain talent, right? And I think there's so many pieces 
or elements that go into that. We want a culture that's intellectually stimulating, a culture that's supportive. Uh, we think it inspires and encourages growth. We are 61 employees, as you noted. So when you're a almost $20 billion investment firm, that means that every role at Axiom is important. Every role contributes to our overall mission, whether they have just joined or they've been here for decades. And we do have several employees who have celebrated 20 years at Axiom. Um, they're going to be an important member of our team. And our team is special. And we, we feel energized. We stay engaged. We're focused on that mission, no matter what the role is. And so I think it's very important when you're recruiting new professionals. And I think, as you noted, we have you know, the tenure is our strength, the employee tenure, but but we have had to recruit new professionals. And when when we're doing that, it's it's a lot of effort. It's about being deliberate in selecting the right people. We all work really closely together. We want to make sure that we're able to empower employees, give them feedback to maximize their potential. So we're going to put as much emphasis on the cultural fit and the philosophical alignment as we do on their demonstrated whether it's an investment person's their investment acumen or their sector expertise, if it's a global sector analyst or compliance or operations, we're thinking holistically about this person that we're bringing into our culture. It's like you said, performance-driven culture, fiduciary excellence. And so it is, we can be slow to hire. We, we want to make sure there's a lot of alignment and professional capability before we add to the team. But I think that results in you know, having a stable and tenured, you know, whether it's investment team, but also non-investment team as well. Yeah. I can recall a lot of conversations that you and I have had <laughs> yeah. about uh, talent development and recruiting and not being quick to hire and being thoughtful about so many issues, even down to commutes and mm -hmm. families and and things like that. It's Yeah. Um, we're not going to get it right every time, of course, but we, you know, I, I think maintaining high standards here is important. We believe every employee that that is here can reach those standards. And, and so by taking a very deliberate and patient approach to recruitment and professional development, that's a piece of it too, professional development, it will really allow us to continue to enhance the, the depth and the resilience and the long-term success of the organization. Yeah. Another observation is the intentionality, if that's a word, in in hiring for roles mm. um, and thinking about the future. So you mentioned professional development, but I don't think you mean in terms of an associate becomes an analyst, becomes a portfolio manager, becomes CIO. It's more in terms of getting better within your role. Um, we've talked about career analysts, and mm -hmm. that is a great position to have for a career. Correct. Look for people who are of that mind. So can you talk a little bit more about how you think about putting the right people in the right seats? Yes, I, I, I think it comes down to our structure, you know, first and foremost. So as you noted, uh, we have portfolio managers, we have a, a very tenured, uh, stable global sector analyst team. I think they're averaging around 21 years of average experience. Certainly it's wonderful to be able to promote internally and that can certainly happen from time to time. We've We've definitely had that. But oftentimes there's a need to go outside. And so, I, again, I think it goes goes back to what are the types of em employees that we've brought on, right? Whether it be on the global sector analyst team or a new portfolio manager. And we find that employees who really exhibit uh, a collaborative and collegial trait, and you can, you can see that in your discussions with them, 
you know, combined with the passion and and their work ethic to really thrive in our process-driven environment. Those are people who are going to work really well here. We also take the time to interview them or spend time with them on several occasions and really with employees from across the organization. So if it's a member of the investment team, it's not just investment team members meeting with them. It's also some of the non-investment team members to really get a holistic sense of cultural, philosophical, and professional uh, fit. Um, I just think it really, you know, that approach to recruitment and development is just something that that we spend a lot of time on and, and worked out well for us. But start structure and making sure that we don't have anyone and really that we might be able to move up, but you know, also that we're thinking about it from like a 360 uh degree perspective and making sure everyone has the opportunity to meet with that individual and assess um their own opinion. Right, right. And another related topic that you and I have touched on in the past is diversity. And you know, obviously it's a big headline issue these days, diversifying um, talent bases and having appropriate representation. It's important to clients. I think it's important to, it should be important to everybody on just a personal level, but Mm -hmm. um, often it becomes about metrics and and box checking. But I think your approach has been a bit more thoughtful than many who are just trying to put people in seats to satisfy statistics. Um, and it kind of dovetails with your comments about professional development. So can you just give us a quick 30 seconds on how you think about it? Yeah, I, look, it's definitely something that we focus on. We're big believers in having diversity of thought, and that can be in so many different ways, as you noted. So we're trying to be very uh, targeted and thinking about you know, who we're using to help us with our recruitment process, actually uh, one thing that we formalized about a year and a half ago uh, was our first you know, dedicated human resource hire, which has been really helpful in rounding out our recruitment process, making sure we're getting a very broad pool of candidates when we do have you know, a, n- a new role available. I think that also speaks to the, you know, we touched on, we're a pretty low turnover firm. And so it's really uh, infrequent that we have roles become available. But when we are recruiting for those roles, then we are thinking about it in, in its most holistic sense to ensure that, you know, we have, you know, diversity of thought and and all those all those things. But we, we, we're we not going, going to just hire, you know, five to, to 10 people to meet certain uh, targets. We want the best person, but we want to make sure that the recruitment process is holistic. Right. And you, you've also mentioned to me that, so it's very competitive for senior candidates who represent or bring diversity. And that another way to approach it, which is a little bit longer term in nature, is hiring more junior and, and earlier career folks mm-hmm. who then can grow into senior roles over time and being deliberate about you know diversifying the ranks throughout the firm. Yeah, I, I, that's a great point. And it's on the investment and the non-investment side. And so um, we've ha- have several you know, research associates, even research analysts, you know, obviously one that's a female partner on the global sector analyst side. Uh, but but I definitely agree with that. I think to the extent since, you know, it's a, a lower turnover firm that we can hire kind of more more junior employees that can then be developed internally for the long-term success and growth of the business. It's It's certainly something that we're very focused on. Let's pivot to your area um, mm-hmm. and clients. I've noticed through time that Axiom's clients are pretty diverse, from a certainly from a geographic footprint standpoint. I think half of the assets are non-US, which I think is pretty impressive for a firm like yours, many of whom 
you know, you grow organically domestically and that's how you build your business. And over time you expand, but you, you've always had a nice international representation in your client base. And how has that developed? How have you achieved that? So, yes. And it's interesting because, you know, when I joined 10 years ago or so, Axiom already benefited from a, a pretty diverse and professional client base, as you noted. But it's also been something that's been such a big focus of our client partnership team at Axiom. I think there's always opportunities to expand and diversify your client base. And, you know, you need to do it thoughtfully. It's always something we're thinking about. I think it includes ensuring that you have the wide range of vehicles for a wide range of investors. And that's something actually I was looking at it the other day. We've launched, I think, 14 investment vehicles, right? Not strategies, but vehicles so that when we do have a potential investor that we're, we're speaking to and they might be of a certain client type we can offer a vehicle that they would be able to invest in. And so that's something that we've been very you know, focused on over the past 10 years was ensuring that you have the available vehicles for a wide range of investors. I think diversifying by the types of clients you partner with is very important. So, you know, obviously, you know, we have a lot of corporate pension clients, but we're an equity investor and you know, with the trend toward, you know, reducing equity in a lot of corporate pensions, you have to be thoughtful about that. So what are some other areas? So endowments, foundations, healthcare, public funds, sovereign wealth funds, these are all things that we think about. How can we have a very diverse client base by client type? Thinking about location, you touched on about half of our assets being outside the US, it might even be slightly more than that. That has actually even expanded. I think historically, there are, you know, a couple areas we had, you know, clients in Australia and South Africa, parts of the UK, but now we've expanded into Europe and the Middle East. And so that's an area that continues to expand. And I think a lot of that has to do with our approach to investing. And so, you know, sustainability has been something that's been on a lot of non-US investors and US investors, but non-US investors' minds. And that's been an area of growth for us uh, outside the US. Um, and then also financial institutions. So really trying to understand you know, how can we take the vehicle types that we have and partner with more of the retail side of things and do that through a professional investor? So these are things that we're always thinking about and always focused on in terms of diversification. And then you have the whole vintage year. Uh, maybe that's more of a, a private equity term, but I, we think a lot about, you know, what, when did the clients fund and did they fund in a year where we had really great performance or did they fund in a year that was a little tougher for us and really trying to diversify you know, when our clients are funding and and that kind of thing. So it, it is an ongoing, uh, that's something that's never going away. It's always going to be a very important focus of ours. Uh, we also want to make sure we have diverse clients in each strategy. So there, there's a lot to that. And I spend a lot of my time really focused on ensuring, you know, client growth, prudent growth and client diversification. Right. That's very thoughtful. I guess, how do you think about, what are your organizing principles around sales and distribution? So do you have different people in different channels, different people in different geographies? Is a lot of it outbound? Is a lot of it inbound? How does that business development go? So we are a small team uh, on the business development side, but a very senior team. And so we're four people. That includes myself and uh, three of us are partners. And right now, uh, three of us kind of split more geographically. I, I focus the majority of my time outside the U.S., but obviously I have some some clients in the U.S. I've been working with for a long time. 
And then uh, we split the United States essentially in two. Uh, there's some nuance there, but uh, for two of my other client partnership partners. And then uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Steve Hansen, focuses primarily on the financial institution uh, market. That's been a been a big area of growth for us. And so we don't really believe in splitting things by client, you know, prospecting or consultants. So basically, wherever you're spending the majority of your time, you're working with clients in that location, you're prospecting within that location, and you're also working with the consultants as well. Right. In right. terms of outbound versus inbound, you know, it's a mix. I think, you know, Axiom was kind of a low-key, uh, a quieter firm for a while. And so I think... Um, you know, when we went through a, a bit of a rebranding effort and did some things to, I guess, professionalize our story a little bit, there was a lot of outbound. But now we continue to do that to expand in areas where maybe our name isn't as as well known. But now it's something where we're a little bit able to leverage our existing client relationships to expand those partnerships, whether it be through word of mouth or through just expanding with additional strategies. Right. You mentioned rebranding. Firm names are an interesting topic. Um, talk to a lot of, I, I, I've always enjoyed asking people where the name of a firm came from. Where, where where did they come up with the name? And half the time, it's because that's all that was available. We couldn't find anything. <laughs> we wanted to move on to actually investing and running the business. And so that's what we came up with. You're a global growth investment firm. The firm used to be Axiom Global Investors, if I'm not mistaken. International. Yeah. Okay, close. Close, um, yeah. <laughs> but you but you you changed it mm-hmm. to just Axiom Investors. Why? Well, so when we were started as a single strategy firm with international equity, we were Axiom International Investors. And it wasn't until 20, oh gosh, 2015 when we rebranded that we dropped the international because at that point we had 10, I believe it was 10 strategies that weren't only our original international equity, we then had you know, two global equities, two emerging markets and uh, international US and, and now global small cap. So really it's just noting that we're Axiom investors and we're dynamic growth, investing ahead of the curve, but we're doing it across market caps, geographies and global sectors. Yeah, well, you can see that given, I mean, it was a while ago and given that I thought of it as Axiom Global, I already had that in my head. So <laughs> yeah. it makes a lot more sense dropping the international than it would have global. The global, um, yes. And so I have to follow up by asking what Axiom, where that came from. It's so funny. It was one of the questions I asked very early on in in my interview process as well, because it's always something I'm curious about uh, too. And the response that I got was kind of funny. So uh, I, I guess first and foremost, you know, Axiom speaks to our philosophy. So we, you know, as I noted kind of earlier on, believe strongly that alpha really comes from people miscalibrating the trajectory of growth for certain companies. And so in Axiom, right, it's your it's your set of principles or your axioms that underpin those forecasts of growth. So we think the name Axiom reflects our philosophy and and the fact that we're really grounded in in fact-based evidence. So we're fundamental investors, but I think the thing that's a little bit different about us is that we seek to support our fundamental investment thesis with data and facts and evidence. So that that's Axiom. Then there's the other the other part where, you know, Andrew is insistent on having an A name, right? Being at the top of the list. <laughs> so yes. there you have it, Axiom. There you go. Pick- Two stories. Yeah. That's funny. So that's great. Uh, well, I, I appreciate you um, running through 
all these topics. And I know you and I could talk for hours because we do um, (laughs) about all these things. I guess I'll put it back to you um, because I've been directing traffic here. Do you have any thoughts around what's worked or what's not worked, lessons learned from your decade with Axiom that we haven't talked about? Oh, Yes. How much time do we have? Lessons learned. Honestly, this is such a fast paced industry that we live in. As you know, I think the world seems to be ever changing and I just feel like I'm learning lessons every single day. So I I think I'm most fortunate about the fact that I'm a part of an organization that started with a focused mission 25 years ago, which, you know, obviously I wasn't a part of in the beginning, but it's, you know, a mission that I'm also very passionate about, just being thoughtful around, um, you know, your culture and driving investment and fiduciary excellence to meet your clients' objectives. And so I guess, you know, the, the overarching thing for me is that, you know, having a strong culture, sustaining that strong culture Um, in our 25th year is something that we're all thinking about a lot. I think it's a key to the long-term success and really stability of an organization, but it's also a skill or something that we have to learn and it's, it's always changing and evolving. And so we're going to seek to adapt and respond to that. And so um, yeah, every day is a lesson learned, but I think really being thoughtful about how you evolve as an organization is is just really important in achieving long-term success. And you have to be patient about it. I think it's very easy in this fast-paced environment to want to make decisions very quickly, but you know, you have to think more about, you know, like you said, you know, what's the long-term goal that we have or the strategic direction that we're headed? And then how do we break that out into little bite-sized increments. And, and so anytime you're making that impactful decision, you just want to be very thoughtful about it. Yeah, for sure. Well, Axiom's done a great job with it and um, I'm sure it has a bright future and I look forward to continuing to talk about it. So thank you so much for joining me today and uh, I look forward to talking again soon. Thanks so much. It was really nice to talk to you, Brad. 